Welcome to In Your Area. This episode features a conversation between Ron O'Shea of The Real Estate Company and Jeff Kahane of Kahane Law. The duo break down some of the common questions around mobile homes and the role of a realtor in selling them. They review what classifies a mobile home versus a recreation vehicle, what is needed to list a mobile home properly, and how to do your due diligence as a realtor for your client when selling these unique living spaces. We hope you enjoy. Well, hello, and thanks for uh, joining us in this latest edition of Areas Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about mobile homes. First off, I'd like to introduce myself, Ron O'Shea. I'm uh, with the Real Estate Company Limited. I've been in the industry in the Calgary and surrounding areas for 18 years. I've done uh, my share of mobile homes, and I'm joined by the very wonderful Jeff Kahane with Kahane Law. Thanks, How are you Ron. doing, Jeff? Good, good. Thank you. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Good to be on the uh, podcast. Thank you. <laughs> well, that is wonderful. That's wonderful. Hey, I heard a rumor that you uh, were kind of in this business, sort of on a part-time thing, doing a couple of little flips of some mobile homes. Yeah, we've. Um, well, I've personally been involved in, in you know buying, selling, uh, flipping, obviously with clients on, on that end. So nice. it's good to have that full exposure of things, not just on the, the legal side, but just on a practical hands-on side also. Perfect. So what we're going to do with this podcast today is we're just going to go back and forth between Jeff and I, and we're going to just discuss the ins and outs, the pros and cons, all that kind of good stuff, and uh, some of the potential bad stuff about the uh, mobile home game, or like many like to call it, wheel estate. Um, And uh, I've been called a wheelter in some parks. So that's been kind of a funny thing to do. Well, and the term seems keeps seeming to changing. I mean, mobile home, modular home. Uh, there's one other that was sort of less uh, descriptive about the, these new communities. And um, I mean, it's, what's interesting is there's some great products out there that are well built and, and make very lovely and affordable homes for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just so people know, uh, a great majority, uh, probably about 90% of the mobile homes in, the Cal- in Calgary anyway, are on leased land. There's a few, Aaron Woods, uh, Huntington Hills, that have got some mobile home parks on owned land. But in general, they're on leased land, and we'll be talking about how you handle buying and selling of those particular properties. Just because we do see a lot of the uh, the land land ones also, I think uh, hopefully we have time to address both. Sure, sure. Excellent. So basically, a couple of the questions that have been, the common questions is that, uh, can anybody get a mortgage? on mobile homes and the simple answer is yes you can put five percent down uh you can be cmhc approved um there's just uh, a couple of points uh, with regards to getting the mortgage that uh, these mortgages are called chattel mortgages and uh, it's kind of uh, the, there's no land title on these lease lands so you're not going to be running over to land titles getting a a, a link number you we've got to we've got to create as realtors we've got to create link numbers from the Calgary Real Estate Board as per these year units. Yeah, and, and the way we're, we see them from the legal standpoint is, I mean, obviously for titled land, it, it runs the same as any other uh, titled ownership property. So the mortgage is just a regular mortgage. Uh, often um, the lenders are factoring in, you know, in part or not at all the actual unit. So often the, the unit has a nominal value and it's just a security against the land. And then for the chattel mortgages, um, they usually want a general security agreement and we're registering the, the home itself um, with the personal property registry in terms of the, the debt instrument and uh, showing it 
so that the there is attached to the serial number. So if someone goes to sell it, they'll be able to identify that there's debt. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we can talk about uh, all these particular numbers. So I think I'm just trying to see what the best process would be to talk about maybe starting as a buyer of a mobile home on leased land. Okay. So uh, let's start with, uh, you're a buyer. You, you, you enter uh, one of a uh, great many. There's about eight parks, uh, well, probably nine parks in the city. Uh, midfield close, uh, as everybody knows, a year or so ago. And uh, so you enter a park, you see a property, it's got a for sale sign, it's got a realtor sign on it, uh, which just means that yes, you can put uh, mobile homes on the MLS. So you wanna put a, so you, you'd follow pretty much typical standard purchase contract uh, offers, but what would be added to it is the manufactured home schedule, which is really key. Uh, it, is, it is the one that tells you the make, the model, the serial number, the year it was built, uh, the uh, Canadian Standards Association or the CSA registration number, and just some details about how it's being constructed. So Ron, I just want to touch base on that one because while people can um, secure, list on MLS the, um, the, the mobile homes, they, they aren't allowed to list holiday trailers like the recreational vehicles. So on some of the communities, you know, especially some of these lake ones, they're, they're not actually modular homes. They're basically just RVs that are, are parked there for a significant amount of time. And so you have to be cautious to make sure that, that you can for that specific unit. Like it's different than the homes where people live full time. Um, but some of these holiday vacation properties are, are a little tougher. Fabulous point. Fabulous point. And uh, as you, you go to these parks, and I've had a lot of people say, well, is it still on wheels? Well, no. Uh, these here units that are usually parked in these uh, lots are on either pallets. And I have been to locations where they've been permanently fastened onto uh, pylons, concrete pylons that are in the ground and and welded to there but in most cases they're on wooden pallets now not your typical pallet you'll see on Kijiji but uh, these are pallets that this is just sitting with basically a freestanding unit on a steel frame on this lot yeah there and in I know some people they're concerned um, some of the ones we've seen they're on uh, screw jacks so yep. those obviously are, are um, a different way of doing it these days and uh, lastly there are some with foundations which are, are interesting where they're popping them on foundations so Again, your client uh, should talk to their inspector, make sure that they're getting something that they know what they're getting. Uh, I don't think it usually makes a, a huge impact on on the product at the end, but it's just good to know what you're moving into. That's exactly it. And it's about uh, doing the maintenance and the, uh, the maintenance of your place. Because I mean, a lot of people would probably never look underneath until such time as your water line freezes because your uh, electrical tape failed on you. So knowing or having somebody that knows what the goings on are underneath the unit. It's just good for you for further. You'd like to know whether there's a skunk taking up residence or not under there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, so you see it, so we, we, we start the process as a buyer, we start the negotiating process with a standard uh, purchase contract. And like I say, you add the manufacturing home schedule to it to get that critical information of the serial number. And it is because the lenders want to know the CSA number is because the lenders want to know that this wasn't built by a farmer in a field in Saskatchewan uh, with no regulations and no standards and no codes. And so they know that they've got a product that's uh, going to be worthy of lending money on. Yeah, no, for sure. And if, if it doesn't, then you'd want to put something in there where the seller gets it recertified, which can happen. So sometimes those numbers just disappear. They do. Um, 
yeah, so it's, that's important to note for people. A lot of people will ask, well, how do I find and where do I find now? Some of the, the most simplistic ways and generally the simplistic ways only appear at the age of the unit. A lot of times the serial number and the CSA number are on a plate at one of the two doors on the exterior. Or you'll find it on a form which is glued to the inside of the door on the sink or inside a kitchen cabinet. Or finally, you could see it uh, somewhere close to the electrical panel. And, uh, you know, we'd love to be able to find it out that easy. But lots of places get renovated. These uh, little indicators and information plates and forms tend to get thrown away. Yeah, and, I, and I think on some of the older ones, it's almost like they wanted to hide them. So it becomes like a little scavenger hunt on trying to find it. Um, you know, like the metal plate seems to be a good spot, like any around the outside, the metal frame on the base to see if you can find it on there. Um, but I mean, the older homes, it could be anywhere, literally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it, a lot of people you'll find uh, when they purchase, the, they, they try to justify what the pricing is all about. And I tell them that um, when you're into a park that has got a, a, a pretty average lot fee, you'll find that the units on average are more expensive. The higher the lot fee, you tend to get units that are of less value because uh, people just, that's where they, it seems to be a demographic of people that don't really upgrade their units and they can't seem to, the lot fee scares a lot of people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you've got this, so you're putting in your offer and you're putting in uh, conditions of, you know, home inspection and you're putting in financing, you're putting in park approval. Now, a lot of people wonder about that. And I always put park approval in because a park can actually refuse you for buying and or possibly living. They can refuse your pets, all that kind of good stuff. So you really want the park ends up running a credit on you as well too. No different than what a lender or a mortgage broker will do. They want to make sure you're, you're financially healthy under their terms to be able to live in the park. And also, and Jeff, you brought it up to me, uh, the, the due diligence of being very important with regards to possible infrastructure or, you know, poor infrastructure in certain parks. Yeah, I think this is like any other uh, home where you want to make sure that you're offering to your client um, the opportunity to do the due diligence that's important to them. So um, on, on any transaction, uh, our job, realtor's job, is to make sure that, that their client has um, makes an informed choice. And part of making an informed choice is you letting them know, hey, I'm the, you, know, you don't tell me you're the professional, you're the professional, but here's some of the things you might want to think about. And I need to know if there's anything you have a specific concern about. Um, often it's good. I know Reex has one. We've, we've sort of beefed theirs up a little bit, but like a checklist. So a buyer gets to choose, do I want to get an engineer in? Do I want to get the sewer scope? So make sure there's not going to be a sewer problems. Do I want to get, you know, check for asbestos or, you know, anything that's important to them. And by, by you as an agent, giving them those options, then it's like your, your protective shield. If anything ever goes wrong afterward, you can say, well, you know, I asked you if you wanted to do that. It wouldn't be you who said that, it'd be Rex who says that. But it's, it's basically a get out of jail free card. So it, it's, it's good to offer them um, the education of what they can do. A lot of people will decide not to spend money on certain things and, and that's their choice. But at least you've given them their choice um, because not uh, giving them the options is effectively like not giving them the choice. So it's just a good, uh, a good, good practice 
Fabulous point. Fabulous point. And just to let people know, uh, they, they say, well, when you talk about these lot fees, okay, lot fees in Calgary can range anywhere from $500 a month up to $1,075 a month. So there's a fairly wide range there. And when you're getting financing, unlike a condominium where the, uh, the lender will actually use 50% of your condo fees towards your total debt and your gross debt servicing, lot fees, they use 100%. So a lot of people will go around and say they, they, they may get disqualified from one park because their, their lot fees are $800 a month, but they'll qualify at a lot uh, at a project where the lot fees are 560. So that's a lot of things too, that people, you know, need to look uh, up. When, when, once we're talking about fees, I know you, you brushed on the um, part about, uh, you know, can you be, can they have the lease assigned or can you be accepted into the park? A lot of people buy the units, just the unit itself. And so there's no automatic guarantee. I want people to really get that part that of them being allowed in. And if it's an assignment uh, of any kind, or, or even if you're being offered a new lease or rental agreement with the, the park itself, you want to, you want to make sure your client understands how long that's for. Um, and, and, you know, we saw that in Calgary where people were buying units and spend, spending nothing on the land. They're just buying a unit for $40,000, $50,000 with nowhere to move it, but they only had a year left on their, their rental agreement and, and the park wasn't renewing them. So it's, it's important that your clients understand that. Yep, that's a great point. Very good point. Uh, and, and people often ask, why would someone buy a mobile home? Well, back in the day, back uh, decades ago, I mean, it was extremely affordable. Uh, lot fees were very affordable. You didn't get much for your lot fee. It was, they, you got the services, your water and your sewer and your electricity. But now it's, it's become, it's, it's that transition between someone who doesn't necessarily is leaving a single family home and doesn't want the expenses of it, but it is not ready for condominium living with the restrictions of uh, not having a yard, uh, not having, being able to have pets. So that's that little, uh, that area in between those two into single family and uh, condominium living. So that's why people choose them. And, and I think the, the buy-in amount, so your, your down payment you have to come up with is going to be less also. Um, a lot of the parks, I mean, the, the homes are much less expensive. And even when they're titled and you have land coming with it, um, it's a good opportunity for people to actually buy the dirt so that they, they then own it. Certainly is. Certainly is. And in today's market right now, uh, just uh, there's uh, 33 uh, active listings for uh, mobile homes in the city, ranging anywhere from 19,000 to 219,000. So that's a wide scope there for 33 properties available. So you're correct, Jeff. I mean, the down payment is definitely affordable and, uh, but you're qualifying for a lesser amount. You're usually, you're, uh, you can find, you can expect on a channel mortgage to be possibly a couple of points higher in interest because of uh, the, the structure that it is. Uh, people talk about, well, you know, it's an appreciating product. Well, not necessarily so. If there's upgrades to it, they call it the effective age of the home. Uh, it could have a year of 1985 on it, but it could have been renovated five years ago to a lot of the modern standards of today and the, the modern appearance and, and, and features of today. And so a bank will look at that and say, okay, I can see it being built in 1985, but it's got the bones of a, of a 2015 home now. And that's how they'll, they'll, they'll view it whenever they're going to lend against it. it it's basically, it's the, the years of, of life expectancy added to it. And, and that's very similar to just a regular house. Uh, I mean, they'll look at how you can have an old, old home that's completely restored or an old, old home that's ready to be bulldozed. So it's, you, you, there's no telling. That's a good point, except the fact that on an old home, you, they, a lot of times they look at the land. They say the land value. 
Yeah. No, Whereas I, these lease places, they, they don't take the land value. Which, which, which is a good point. And one that, um, so we've had a number of clients who have bought um, properties in some of the older parks where the, the house, the, the modular home that comes with it is basically garbage. And um, so they, they have it disposed, they have, they get rid of it. And, you know, for 40, 50, $60,000, they buy, you know, maybe a four or five year old modular home and move it over to the new site and pop it down on the land. And it's an effective way of doing a complete upgrade where, you know, something where the home on site is more of a liability to something for, you know, nominal amount, you're getting something basically brand new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's hit on the fact about uh, RPRs. People talk about real property reports that you get in standard uh, uh, homes in the city. You do not get a real property report when it comes to a mobile home uh, because you don't own the land. On, on the leased ones. On, on the leased, on, and, on the leased and, sorry, Jeff. Yeah, I'm yeah, hammering on the leased ones. On I'm, yep, I'm hammering on the leased ones. Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah, and well, once we're, we're on it, and, and you do need them if it's titled, unless it's just plain bare land with no fences, no structures whatsoever. Um, but otherwise, you need to get that RPR for, for titled land. And, and the uh, title land, and I just correct me if I'm wrong, but again, I, I, I remember I did some deals in Aaronwoods. I did some deals in uh, Huntington Hills. I think that project in Strathmore, I put a few people out there in that project and one of the projects in Strathmore. So yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a few of them out there. Yeah, no, they're, they're good opportunities for people. Now we talk about, uh, I, I had couples that had said that it paid cash for their units. They paid 30 or $40,000 cash for their units on leased land. And they said, so where's our uh, certification? Uh, are we on title? And I said, uh, there is no title. That, that's hundred percent accurate. There's, there's no, I mean, you'll get a little piece of paper. Basically it's treated like a car um, or any other chattel. So you're gonna have a bill of sale that says, Hey, I so-and-so I'm selling this to you. And you want to hold on to that piece of paper for when you go to sell if someone asks for some kind of proof, because really that, that's all you're going to get. That's, that, and, and isn't that the truth? And I often tell, and I, I had some couples saying, I'm not comfortable with that. And I said, so, so here's what happens. You're registered with the city of Calgary for tax purposes. And most of the parks have got what they refer to as a yellow card. Uh, you, you, you fill out this card. So you are registered so that the, the, the owner that you bought from can't come back one day and, uh, and uh, try to sell it out from under you or try to take possession of it again. And one woman said, how is there a way that I can get something? So, so when you do this process of, of buying it, your realtor or yourself, I mean, I, I do it for my clients, but I run to any land titles office and I do a lien search on these with hopefully with the serial number that I've got all the information that I have. And they'll do a lien search no different than they'll do it for a vehicle. Yep. And, th and that's exactly it. We, we actually run both. Like we'll have to as part of our process to make sure there's no debts. We'll run it by the seller's last name. Um, and then anything that's a close resemblance to that will, it will pop up in the search. And then we also, because it is a serial, serial number of goods and for proper security on those, um, you want to have um, the search by the serial number, but a person can have signed a general security agreement where it includes all their uh, presence and after acquired property that would, would scoop the, the home as a chattel. So we just want to make sure that there's no debts uh, whatsoever on it. And, and in terms of the, uh, like the ownership papers, like there, there is nothing official except for that bill of sale. It's really important to write it into uh, the contract, the area contract that the buyer is going to get uh, a bill of sale. And, so and I raised that because, oh, sure. Oh, sorry. No, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just thinking now we have the purchase contract. How do you define the bill of sale against the purchase contract? Are they the same validity? 
Well, there's, there's two different things. The contract is an agreement to purchase a property. The bill of sale shows that it's been purchased. Okay. Do you, do you have that? So, so that is a process that you probably do with the client. Uh, that's, that's away from my control as they right. go to your office, you probably do the right. bill of sale. So, so we do, and, and here's the issue. So like we just, we just uh, closed a transaction this week where it was titled land and it came with a trailer and there was no requirement in there to provide a bill of sale whatsoever. Um, no different than, I mean, technically every transaction that has appliances, you know, like anything that comes with the home, there should be a bill of sale selling those things to the, the um, showing that the, the new buyer owns them. And, and we don't, like as a, as a matter of course, we don't do that. The, the modular home is no different. It, it's, it's an asset, it's a chattel, it's sitting there, you can move it if you needed to. And so it's just better to put the require in, um, just so that there's no, um, no pushback afterwards. Because we have had lawyers say, well, I've got no requirement to give that to you. It's, it's not in the contract and, and the right. So um, you know, just putting a simple line that this, the seller shall provide the buyer with a fully executed bill of sale um, on the completion of the transaction. And that's, that's simply just put into a term, into a yeah. term of the contract. So no, that's a, that's a very valid point too. So where are we now? I'm just going to, I'm just running down my little uh, cheat sheet down here just to see what we've got. So the general rundown. So now you're going to list the property. So I think I, I, I hopefully we touched on enough uh, basis uh, when it comes to purchasing. Uh, now you're listing a property. Uh, it, it is pretty much the same process when it comes to uh, a mobile home as it would be with a single family. The, the, the paperwork, the same is involved, yet you got to go back to the manufacturer at home schedule and try to provide to the best of your ability the same information and the warrants uh, to the buyer that you have the make, model, serial number, year it's built, CSA number, and any details to the construction of the foundation that's what, you have, what you'd, you'd like to have on a listing contract. And, and remind your client, like the rules around uh, material latent defects still apply. I mean, they still have their obligations there. And, and as an agent, uh, the, the definition of material latent defect is different for RECA as it is for um, you know, our, our area contract. So there are some things that you have, a, like absolutely have a requirement to disclose. Um, and if your client says don't disclose, then you're not gonna list that property. In some, there's leeway where it's up to the client to decide. But if if the client decides not to disclose a material latent defect and it's not one that falls under the RICO's rules, then make sure you have it in writing. Like they, they can give you that lawful instruction, but you want to make sure that you're not um, providing, you're not not disclosing without proof that your client told you to not disclose. And leaving yourself liable. A hundred percent. That's, yeah, that's, that's part of the Jeff Kahane's uh, getting sued suck series. How not to get sued. I went to that one. You had, I think you had that one at one of the uh, forecast conferences. Yeah, I, I, I do a series of them. So they're all, um, uh, you know, whether it's on titles or re like registrations on title, RPRs, uh, probably eight or nine, um, how not to get sued sessions. I feel like I rip you off every time I look at your uh, Instagram and all the free things that you give out. I think if I just documented all this, I probably wouldn't need the lawyer. I'm a grade four school teacher at heart. So, you know, I taught for years and I think education is so important. It's how we get a better <laughs> profession and a better industry and it's better for the public. It just works all around. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you'd be quite surprised at how many people I steer towards all your little webinars and stuff like that there just for information, just to give them a heads up before they make that phone call because 
Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I had no idea. We just opened an office in Edmonton a couple of weeks ago, about four weeks ago now. And uh, the lawyer up there said, who we hired, he says, you, wouldn't, you, would, you have no clue how many people have not really heard about Kane Law Office as a firm, but they know all know about your videos. And uh, they use them as a resource, the lawyers up in Edmonton. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. And your radio clips and stuff like that. You'll be mayor one day. Well, there is a group pushing me for to do that, but I, I like my day job. <laughs> So the process is pretty much the same as a single family home to the, the, the closest degree. Uh, certain issues will arrive, arise in selling a mobile home because I mean, you've, you've got to, you know, also appease the park as well too. Um, and, and there's certain parks that are a little bit more, I'll use the word crusty than others. Uh, so. And, and if, if you have any doubt oh, oh, and you can't get that answer beforehand, that's a, a good time for an agent to put in a condition for a seller just to make sure um, that they're able to make all the representations and warranties. That's right. That's right. It is a great option whenever you're not ready for condominium life, but you no longer want basements. You no longer want larger homes that take the required maintenance involved. Uh, mobile homes uh, and, and some of the work that people are doing now on rehabbing these mobile homes are just fabulous. Just fabulous. Yeah. And you can look, we do a lot of cross-border work. If you look at um, places like Arizona and Nevada, there's a number of homes where this has been going on for some time and they really are great. I mean, they're often retirement communities. Some of them have pools. Like it's, it's a great option for people. It certainly is. Uh, Arbor Lake up in the Northwest, uh, they've got that pool. And many of these places will come with uh, clubhouses and party rooms and some have exercise facilities, uh, but they are a community. They are a wonderful community. And uh, I've, I've experienced, uh, I, I met quite a few people and sold quite a bit in the city all around. So, Ron, Ron I, hate, I hate jumping around a little bit, but I kind of love it anyway, because it goes with my ADD. Um, you know, just, just want to touch on serial numbers. So we have a couple minutes. Just, you bet. Um, you, you bet. know, as different than the CSA, the serial numbers also can be very, very hard to find. And those are the things that we're going to have to do the searches we've talked about uh, in terms of any debts associated with it. So if at the end of the day, you can't find it anywhere, like no serial number at, at all, um, the more details, the better, because we're going to put those into the like, how do you show that you're buying something and on the bill of sale, we're going to want, you know, year, make, model, you know, as much as that as we can get. And um, if you need to get a new serial number assigned, and, and the issue is, is that some of the older properties, they, they, there is no consistency. So you can have three different uh, home manufacturers all using the same serial numbers, um, you know, in sequence for their own product. So um, we just want to make sure we've got an actual number and uh, you can get one from the government if you need to. I was just going to mention that I've, I have called numerous times to consumer corporate affairs in Edmonton and done searches as far away as that to get these yeah. serial numbers because they have a database going back a certain amount of time. So, yeah, that so that, that's, that's I just wanted point. to bring that up while we still had everyone on the air. <laughs> excellent point. Excellent point. Okay, let's wrap this up, Jeff. Hey, it was a pleasure doing this with you. I love two ADD guys going at it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, fabulous. Thanks again, Jeff. All right, take care. So that's it for our show today, folks. Thank you for uh, having listened to, and I hope this was helpful in every way, shape, and form that you think that uh, the information you were looking for. Thank you to Jeff and Ron. We hope to see you the next time we are in your area.